Leviticus 18, these are God's words. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, I am Yahweh your God, according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am Yahweh your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am Yahweh. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am Yahweh. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your wife. Sorry, she is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her, and you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am Yahweh. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. 
for all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am Yahweh, your God. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. It's important for us to notice that Leviticus 18 comes in that section of Leviticus in which the Lord is giving instruction for the holy and the common. Uh, the holy and the common. Uh, this chapter deals primarily with the sanctity of marriage. Uh, that man is made in the image of God and that uh, marriage itself is part of man being made in the image of God. You remember from Genesis 1, uh, he made them in his image male and female. And the, the thought being one complete thought that the Lord making them male and female was a part of how they were to image him that there's something about marriage that even the angels don't have, but that man has the holy covenant of a shared life. And you remember the end of Genesis 2, that the man and the woman were naked and unashamed, and that it was when man defiled himself in the image of God he did not treat himself as holy and consecrated, uh, separate from and apart from all of the, uh, the other creatures as made in God's image, that one of the first places uh, that this defilement corrupted was between the man and his wife, who immediately realized that they were naked. And so the Lord here tells the people of Israel that they must not uh, live according to the principles, the ways, the customs, the ordinances of either the Egyptians from out of whom the Lord had consecrated uh, his people as holy, or the people who are currently in the land of Canaan over against whom the Lord has consecrated his people as holy and to whom, um, uh, whose land the Lord is giving to his people. Uh, the great idea here is that the Lord makes a difference in those whom he redeems. He will restore unto them the sanctity of being made in God's image. He will restore unto them the sanctity of of marriage. It's important that we read all these things and, and note all these things so that we don't make the mistake that the Jews made, the, Jew, the Judaizers uh, and the Jews more broadly made with verse 5. 
You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which, if a man does, he shall live by them. I am Yahweh. In Romans 10 and in Galatians 3, uh, Paul quotes this, which was one of the favorite verses uh, of those who treated God's law, which would lead to righteousness, not as if it was by faith, but as if it was by works. Uh, those Jews in, in Romans 10 and those Judaizers in Galatians 3, uh, they treated this as the Lord introducing a works principle. Uh, and the apostle there, when he refers to uh, the law presenting a righteousness that is by merit or that is by works, is not saying that God was introducing or republishing a covenant of works to his people in this chapter. Now that should be obvious to us, coming, uh, coming by Leviticus 18 honestly, as, uh, as it is. Uh, coming through Genesis and Exodus and into Leviticus and seeing him over and over again six times in this chapter. I am Yahweh. Several of those times, I am Yahweh, your God. And especially in verse 2 and verse 30, these bookends of the chapter, what we call um, uh, the word has escaped me. It's not merism, chiasm. Uh, when the Lord, uh, when the Lord gives us a, a beginning and the and the end to bracket it, uh, and He puts the theme uh, of the chapter at its beginning. Uh, and its end. And the theme is that he is Yahweh. And he makes a difference in his people. And because they are holy unto him, consecrated unto him, uh, they may not participate in these profanings uh, that the nations are participating in. Very similar to when we come out of Hebrews 12 and we've had this marvelous 12-chapter exposition of how in sending Christ as greater than Moses and the last word and the great mediator, the priest forever, who is the substance of all of those shadows that pointed to him. And you have the, the climax in the second half of Hebrews 12 with the worship that enters heaven and this is what we are consecrated for. And one of the first applications, as you turn the page into chapter 13, is that marriage is to be held honorable and the marriage bed is to be kept pure. The Lord makes a difference. This is not a republication of, uh, if you do this, you will earn life. This is the Lord who has set apart a people to himself giving them as his redeemed people already his word by which he makes them to live. His word, which if they don't do it, they will die. But that is instrumental. It, has a, it is his instrumental means by which he gives life among his people. And so, uh, seeing this in that context, that this is about the Lord who makes the difference 
and his holy people. Uh, we hope briefly to consider this chapter uh, under the thoughts of uh, their being consecrated from the nations. <clears throat> their being consecrated from the nations, which we have already begun to think about. In the second place, uh, the covering of nakedness. And in the third place, uh, complying with nature. Uh, complying with nature, and that's uh, un being understood in two ways. One, that all of our morality is a complying first with God's nature. Uh, and then second, the necessity of complying with the nature of things as God has created them. First then, consecrated from the nations, uh, not like Egypt, uh, not like Canaan, uh, the, the great uh, ancestor uh, of both uh, Mitzrayim, uh, Egypt, and uh, all of the different uh, nations of the Canaanites was Ham. Uh, and one of the things that Ham is most famous for in the Bible is for committing this very sin. Uh, as, uh, as the Lord uh, saves Noah and his, uh, and his family, and he brings them off of the ark, and he announces many of the things that we heard him, uh, heard him say in Genesis chapter 1 that they are to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth uh, and take dominion. Uh, and yet we see that these are still the children of Adam. These are still of the man who sinned and his nakedness was exposed and it was shameful on account of his being a sinner at that point. Uh, Noah committed, I'm sure, many more sins. The... Uh, the Lord, who had before the flood said, every intention of the thoughts of man's hearts are only evil, and that continually, uh, says after the flood, the thoughts of man's heart are evil from his youth. Uh, and so I'm sure that Noah committed many more sins, but it was the sin of his drunkenness uh, and then the sin of Ham uh, in connection uh, with that, that was the great reminder uh, that we are still in fallen Adam. We are still in the one in whom we sinned and in whom we died. And so Egypt and, and uh, Canaan, they are, uh, they are examples of what we are in ourselves. It's not because they're descended from Ham. It's because they're descended from Adam. And that's a great threat, isn't it, to Israel? Because although they're not descended from Ham, they're descended from Adam. And if they live according to the mind of man, apart from grace, if they follow the ways of either the Egyptians from whom they were saved or the Canaanites whose land the Lord is giving them, they themselves will become abominable to the Lord. They will defile their land. The land will spit them out. And so the Lord comes in mercy with his word. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. 
According to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do or walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. And then at the end of the chapter, verse 26, and especially verse 30, he shows how this word is a word of life given to a redeemed people to guard against the nature that continues, or the sin that continues uh, in them according uh, from their original nature. So verse 26, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations. Verse 30, therefore you shall keep my ordinances, my, <coughs> sorry, my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you. So you see the Lord bringing, uh, as it were, the law, in this case, as a law of liberty. We've noticed, noted many times before that the law in the hands of the Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, is the royal law. The law in the hands of the Lord Jesus, our uh, liberator, is uh, a law of liberty. Uh, God gives it to us, and uh, he, by grace, gives us obedience to it so that we may be freed from living according to our sin and according to our con- uh, uh, living according to our sin and suffering the consequences of that sin. So rather than being like the world around us, we need to be like the Lord. We need to be like his word. He is the one who makes a new humanity. Adam and, and his wife, you remember, uh, tried to cover themselves with the fig leaves. But it is the Lord who covered their nakedness. It is the, the Lord who, in the provision of the skins, pointed not only forward uh, to Christ and the alien righteousness and him being our substitute, but God as the one who would provide remedy for the consequences of our sin, uh, to take away uh, the uh, effects of the sinful nature more and more, and ultimately, finally, entirely, as we heard even this morning in Matthew 5. So they're covered, consecrated from the nations, which means... They are to cover nakedness, or rather not uncover nakedness. Now, there are many Bible scholars who will come into this chapter and start explaining all the different perversions that took place in ancient Near Eastern nations that are here being summarized under the language of uncovering nakedness. And they even go back into Genesis and do the same with Noah and Ham. Now, the Lord doesn't give us the details. And we should follow the Lord in his wisdom. We should be careful and circumspect in how we talk about such things. Do we not learn from Ephesians chapter 5 that it is shameful even to mention the things that these do in secret? And so let us learn the wisdom of God for how we talk about such things. 
And as we do so, we find out, even by the language, that the covering of nakedness is important. It was because Adam and his wife were sinners now that that their nakedness was a shame to them. But we too are sinners. We still have that remaining sin. And so we must guard against the uncovering of nakedness. For it is the beginning of all manner of perversion. Not simply because a way of dressing is going to prevent the perversion, but because the heart is so perverted in sinful man that we mustn't play with the fire of uncovering nakedness. Now, what does this mean? This means that you don't expose the flesh of those things that are your particular nakedness. And if you're married, your particular nakedness actually belongs to your spouse. We saw that several times in the chapter as well. So you don't expose, you don't expose the, the flesh that is your particular nakedness. You don't cover up the fact that you are a woman or the fact that you are a man. In fact, elsewhere in God's law, we, we read the necessity of men dressing as men and women dressing as women. And yet there are those parts that belong especially to one's womanliness and your unique nakedness belongs to you and later to your husband if you're a lady. And it belongs to you only and later to your wife if you're a man. And so it should neither be exposed nor outlined in such a way that it communicates again what your particular nakedness looks like. That is part of your being made in God's image particularly for your spouse. There's a restraint here that recognizes the sinfulness of the heart, but values the purity of being made in God's image, man as sacred in the image of God, marriage as sacred and holy. And so there's a consecration from the nations and the language of covering nakedness. And then he gives us to understand uh, one of the great reasons why uh, this is so important uh, and that those who don't do this are to be excommunicated, cut off uh, from among their people uh, there, end of verse 29. And that is because we are to comply with nature, first of all, We are to comply with God's nature. He only uses the language of perversion uh, the one time at the end of verse 23. uh, But he uses the language of abomination four different times. And the root idea there is that God hates the sort of impurity that is summarized under the language of uncovering nakedness here. It is hateful to him. And so if we are to comply with God's nature, we are to hate what God hates. We are not to call it love. 
We are not to call it freedom. We are not to call toleration of the wickedness of it as peace. This is but to call evil good and the thing that God hates as desirable. No. In sanctifying and consecrating the purity of God's design for man and God's design for marriage. We call these things abominations, these sins abominations. They are hateful to God. And it is for his sake, first and foremost, that we hate them. And so we comply with God's nature. But we're also to comply with our nature, with the way he has uh, created us to function. Uh, verse 23 deals uh, with the greatest confusion in the chapter. Uh, and uh, there is the one instance of the word perversion, which uh, has the root idea of confusion, using something that God has made for one, uh, one purpose in a way that is opposite the nature or the purpose of God's uh, creation. It is similar to the idea of against nature in Romans chapter 1, where there are are sins that are uh, caricatures of or disproportionate to nature, but there are those that are exactly the opposite of nature and therefore are all the worse. But we must hate what God hates, and we must love God's good work in creation then, Uh, following his design and we must love God's good work in redemption purifying uh, ourselves even as he is pure because when we see the Lord Jesus we will be like him the opposite of this is demonic this is highlighted in verse 21, uh, where he identifies the source of the ancient Near Eastern uh, version of abortion, or one of them. Man is very creative in his wickedness. Uh, But this would be uh, after the baby was born, uh, they would heat up uh, an idol of Moloch until it was hot enough that they could put the baby on the arms and the child would combust into flame. Uh, and you know their demon uh, would do a miracle, as it were, of accepting the child by way of fire. And this wasn't just something that was in Moloch worship. Uh, the Lord uh, condemns them for it as a part of Baal worship in Jeremiah three times. Uh, the Israelites uh, had started to do this and uh, he tells them this did not come from my mind every time that he condemns them for this. Uh, This great wickedness. No, it comes not only from the flesh but even from demons. You see, Moloch is nothing and Baal is nothing and the Apostle Paul when he's dealing with the, the question of meat sacrificed to idols in 1 Corinthians 10, 
He says idols aren't anything but demons or something. And what they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons. In other words, there are evil spirits who deceive the nations and who pose as idols. And it is from such evil spirits that things like the murder of babies or the perversions with which this chapter are filled, it is from demons that those things come. And so we must hate what God hates and we must love God's good work in creation, the design by which he made us in his image and gave us marriage kept pure and sacred as part of our imaging him and loving God's work in redemption, saving us out of the first Adam, bringing us out from under deception and bondage to the demonic and bringing us into the last Adam, his son, our Lord Jesus, who teaches us to treat even our bodies as consecrated unto God, our whole self, body, and soul as consecrated unto God, renewed in his image, and marriage. Now, not only as a place where man being made in the image of God was put on greatest display in the creation, but man being renewed into the image of God is put on display in redemption, where husbands love their wives not just as bone of their bone and flesh of their flesh, but as Christ loved the church, so that the two are one, and the mystery that is proclaimed is Christ, and the power by which we are redeemed into living that mystery out correctly is the redemption that is in Christ. And so the people of Israel were to be a holy people, purified from perversion. This was something in which Israel failed. This is something in which we, you, the church, must, by the grace of Christ, be faithful and fruitful. That in a society where modesty is considered prudish, you would consider it prudent. That in a society where perversion is thought to be uh, spoken of as love and freedom and peace, you would consider purity, love and freedom and peace, and perversion as hatred and slavery and bondage. So by God's grace, may we hate what God hates, abominate what God abominates, but love his good work in creation and redemption, especially as touches what we do with our bodies and what we do with marriage. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of your word. Uh, because just as Israel were pilgrims in a land that was rife with these things, so also, Lord, we have come into a season in the life of our nation 
in which our land also is rife with these things. And we note how you destroyed Egypt and the various Canaanite nations that were not in covenant with you. And so we plead with you on behalf of our nation, which is about to be destroyed, that you would have mercy upon her by granting reformation and revival in your church and causing your word to go out so that the multitudes would be brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Yahweh, who makes the difference. And yet, Lord, (coughs) here we are in the midst of them. And so give us to heed the warning, not to think or speak or act according to their principles, but according to your word, in which you communicate to us your own self. And we pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to indulge or condone that which is hateful to you. Deliver us from confusion and give us sanctified minds, sanctified bodies, sanctified marriages. Help us to be distinct from the nation around us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.